0: Now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman.
1: Happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here. Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener. Garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com. All the ranting at the Farmer Fred rant blog page at Twitter.com slash Farmer Fred Daily Garden Tips. Lots of snark. At the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, well, it's a garden dialogue that's always happening. Mysterious pictures of lemons with their rind missing but the fruit intact. Which pest did that? Or the old fat Fred sitting on a pile of mulch. We're going to talk about mulch today. We're going to talk about improving your soil today because... Mr. Dirty Fingers himself is here. Sacramento's organic advocate Steve Zion from Living Resources Company is here. And we're going to be talking about uh, getting your soil ready for spring and summer. Because today is not the day to be planting tomato plants. Even though you may be tempted to go to the nursery and ask for tomato plants because the high today is going to be 72 degrees in Sacramento. And you may say, oh, it's tomato planting time. It's not. April, April. Is tomato planting well, it, time? It,
2: no, there's, well, there might be some places in the world, Phoenix, that yes, that, you know, <laughs> and and this this broadcast does go out via the the web all across the world, Charlie and Brooklyn the universe.
1: Don't plant tomatoes. No, all right. The uh, we're gonna talk about how uh, you can get your soil ready for the right time to plant your heat loving. Plants of summer: the tomatoes, the peppers, the squash, the marigolds, the cosmos, and all those plants. Yeah. And you certainly don't want to throw any seed into the ground this time of year. That is a warm season annual. You could still be planting some cool season annuals. Yep. you The lettuces and spinach and chard and all that stuff that won't bolt for another few months. And greens you can pick them young, pick them old.
2: Yep. Now, now would be a good time, as you've been saying, to improve the soil by putting. Quality compost or earthworm castings on top of the soil if you don't have anything planted. You just put that stuff down on top. Um, before you put it down, if, if you've got bare soil, you might want to take a metal garden rake to loosen up that crust that's on the surface. And uh, you don't have to till it. Just break up that crust. Put down the, the, the compost or the earthworm castings. And hopefully we're going to get more rain. Uh, although I don't see anything in the, in the long term range forecasts. let me check
1: while you're doing that go ahead and
2: uh then the rain will wash that material into the soil the worms that, that are in your soil will come up and feed on that and create air channels and improve the quality of your soil between now and planting time
1: i am looking at the forecast discussion of the national weather service and they're talking about some february 4th records that may be broken today Sacramento's high was 72 back in 2001. That's the current record. We may tie that today. The uh, all-time high at Executive Airport in Sacramento is 69. I bet that record falls. Stockton record high is 70. Modesto record high, 71. Those records may fall today. But what we're interested in is the extended discussion. And they say, Strong high pressure centered over the eastern Pacific will continue unseasonably warm and dry conditions with northerly flow. High temperatures will be 10 to 20 degrees above average. A shortwave trough is forecast to brush northern California late next weekend, but it's not expected to have much impact at that time. So, no, it's dry. It's yeah. sunny. It's, yep. it's 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 too spring-like for winter. Right. And don't be fooled. The days are still short. The soil is still cold. 50 to 51 degrees is too cold of a soil to be uh, forcing a tomato or a pepper plant into besides it, most nurseries wouldn't even have those now.
2: Nurseries won't. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, I don't think even the big box stores would have them.
1: I don't know. Uh it, it, it the mindset of box stores is is if the customers want it, we'll get it for them. Oh yeah. And if they want it, okay.
2: And you know, if, if, but, you're, if you're a retailer retailer in other in things other than plants, mm-hmm. <laughs> If the re- if the customer wants it, you get it for them, and and that's the that's the general rule, and that's good business practice in in most cases.
3: The
1: perfect display now for those garden centers that wanted and had tomato plants to offer in February. Not that they do, but if they did, it should be a nice display. You have some well-established plants, your tomato or pepper plants, and a row of. What are called walls of water, which is a protective device. It's this cylinder that you place over, it's an opaque tubular cylinder that you place over a tomato plant, for instance, and then you fill each of these tubes with water. I think there's like 12 tubes. And you fill that with water. It absorbs the heat during the day and releases it at night. And your tomato or pepper plant enjoys that nice warm environment. It warms up the soil, it helps establish the plant better. The downside to the wall of water is your plant doesn't develop a backbone right. because it cannot fight off the wind. wind. Yeah. And without that, it doesn't develop girth. So you've got this floppy plant when you go to remove the wall of water in April. Yeah. So, so what, you
2: need to stake it. You
1: need to stake it immediately yeah. or have a cage ready to go yeah. on that plant. That's the only drawback good, to good that. Good
2: point. Well, and, and another nice thing about about the wall of water is that uh, – On really cold nights, and we're going to get a frost, uh, you can basically tie the top together, you know, or clip the top together, um, so that the the top is protecting the the from the top of the plant from frost.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, there are row covers available as well. Yep. That can you know row covers do a lot of good this time of year. If you especially in a raised bed, if you're putting in let's say, young, cool-season vegetables, right. your lettuce and broccoli and cauliflower, that are very attractive to those little white moths that yep. are flying around and laying little cabbage worms. Uh, that row cover doesn't give them a place to land. Right. So you're keeping those pests off. You're keeping aphids off. And you're warming that area.
2: And you're keeping the diseases off that some of those insects spread as well.
1: Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. That uh, I mean, I'm sure that there are pollinators that spread it as well. Yeah. But uh, the chewing insects or the sucking insects can leave behind some rather bad things.
2: Yeah. You know, disease spores move from plant to plant via, in, some, in many cases, insects. The insects walk on a diseased plant, the disease Spore gets stuck on their leg or their body and Mm -hmm. then they go to the next plant and the spore, you know, moves on.
1: Probably uh, public enemy number one in that regard right now is the Asian citrus psyllid that is vectoring a disease known as citrus greening disease, also known as Huanglongbing. HLB. HLB. And it can decimate the citrus industry. Just ask what's happening in Florida. Yeah. And they have seen their production of citrus drop nearly half i was gonna say about 50 percent. yeah and it's uh they didn't know what they had when they first saw it back in the 1990s and so they were basically monitoring the situation and by then the disease was out of control because by the time that asian citrus psyllid starts sucking on the leaves of a citrus tree it could be five years before that tree manifests the disease itself right
2: and and then the problem is so you know the, the disease the tree can be infected for five years before you even know it and once it's infected it's just a matter of time before that tree is dead there is nothing you can do at the moment to save the tree
1: at present the only place where the disease is located the citrus greening disease in California is down in the Los Angeles area around Hacienda Heights and Riverside where yep. they found HLB and of course the Asian citrus psyllid they have found the Asian citrus psyllid in our area and there are quarantine zones around here yep. But they haven't found the disease yet.
2: Yeah, so I mean, you might be going into some of the area nurseries, you know, wanting to buy citrus, and they they may ask you where do you live, and if if the nursery is in a quarantine zone and you you're you live outside the quarantine zone, legally they cannot sell you the tree.
1: Right, they're supposed to ask you where you live. Yep, and the uh, CDFA, California Department of Food and Agriculture. Has been conducting a bit of a sting operation at some garden centers in quarantined areas, going in and yeah. buying citrus trees. Yeah. And if they are not asked where they live, those businesses are getting fined. Yeah, and they're uh, rather substantial fines—ten thousand dollars well, in some
2: cases. I mean, this is an incredibly serious pest, and you know we we need to do everything we can to to prevent it. And, you know, if we don't prevent it, then people are going to start, you know, we're going to start having to use some really nasty pesticides. Mm -hmm. And we really don't want to do that.
1: More information about the Asian citrus psyllid and HLB can be found online at citrusthreat.org if you want more information about that. And also the UC IPM pages as well. There are links to it at farmerfred.com. We'll take a short break. When we come back, uh, let's talk about, since we're a little too early to be planting uh, summer annuals and uh, warm season vegetables, let's work on the soil, shall we? Sure. All right. We'll get our nails dirty when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE.
3: 92
0: You are listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Terry and Mike are in the control room. Steve Zion
1: is sitting to my right, your left as you look at the radio. And uh, Fred here. And we're talking about getting your soil ready for spring and summer. But let's delve into the email first. By the way, if you have a garden question, give us a call. 576-1578 here in the 916 Toll-free, 866-331-8255. Email your garden questions into fred at farmerfred.com. And Steve Carry uh, writes in and says, I've just watched several YouTube videos. Well, there's trouble right there. <laughs> uh, of people using honey as a root starter in place of a hormone, just globbing it onto a rose cutting, for instance, dipping it in water, and putting it in the soil. I've not tried it, and I am extremely skeptical, but had to ask, is there anything to this? Were, was it? Was this video sponsored by a honey company? Yeah. I,
2: yeah. I, there are better uses for honey. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, I mean, there's no scientific evidence. I, nobody's done anything. Um, that you, you know, I found a couple of things online that indicated that it might be helpful. Based on um, what? In reference to disease, that there's some antibiotic properties.
1: I guess it depends with, where the with, bees have been. Yeah, that made the honey.
2: Um, but uh, I think they're, they're they're much better products. Um, one that you know, some of the uh, if you watch some of the old movies, that people talk about uh, willow water. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there's something to that. There is. There there yeah. has been some scientific studies showing that that helps and uh, the one the product that i like and there's been research done on that uh, is with uh, seaweed in particular ascophyllum nodosum
1: as a rooting hormone as
2: a rooting hormone yeah. and uh, i've used that with wonderful wonderful success uh, the one there's also a new product out um i'm trying to remember the, the name of tapping roots that has the ascophyllum nodosum and the uh willow water in really? it really that's yes. interesting yeah all right um has not sold very well so you know but some of the nurseries brought it in and what's it called uh, tapping roots tapping roots okay. T A P P I N all right roots
1: Be- willow water is basically you take a young sprout of a growing willow trees and i think this is best done in march or april uh, with the new growth because that has allegedly the most hormones in it right. so you take a a sapling branch maybe a foot 2 feet long you cut it off you take it out to your driveway, and you bang on it with a hammer. Yeah. (laughs) And then you crumble it up and stick it in a big jar with water. You drowned it. Yeah, and let it sit there for, what, two weeks, three weeks? I I don't know. I I have no idea how to make it. And basically then use that water uh, as your rooting hormone. Yeah. Because in the old days, the old farmers, if there were willow trees around, they would take these branches off and stick them in the ground like every – Few feet or so to make yeah. a living fence line yeah. or a windbreak, yeah. and those things would root very easily. Very easy. So yeah. there's and,
2: that. And, and you know, in, in reference to things like honey and all of these other, you know, homemade concoctions, you're gonna, you know, you can. There's this thing called the interweb that most of you probably are familiar with, and there's just all sorts of information out there, all sorts of people saying, well, use use honey for 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 transplanting and for cuttings, and use this for that, and the nice thing is, you know, years ago when you wanted to do things organically, you basically had to do th- you make your own products right. yeah. because they weren't commercially available. Now pretty much everything we need that we know works is commercially available. And I always tell people, you know, if the product's commercially available, don't make your own.
1: And uh, uh, I don't think on a jar of honey you will see it labeled for use as a rooting hormone. No,
2: no. And, you know, I, I mean, I've had wonderful success with, with the, the seaweed products. Uh, the two brands that I am familiar with, one that I've used a lot is called MaxiCrop, and the other one is Grow More Seaweed. And you can find probably one or the other in most mm-hmm. nurseries.
1: Whenever I'm doing transplanting and want to encourage root formation or planting seeds, I will start with a dil- diluted Fish emulsion plus a little bit of maxi crop yeah. or some sort of liquid kelp meal yep. and do that as a drench. Yeah. And, uh, that you know, it, if it works for me, fine. Yeah. Farmer it, Fred Garden it, rule it, number eight. It,
2: it, it works, and, and like I said, there, has, there is scientific proof. There are, you, there are university studies that show that it helps because it has lots of growth hormones in the Ascophyllum nodosum, that it does help uh, prevent transplant shock.
1: You just like saying Ascophyllum nodosum. I Uh, do. Yeah, Yeah, I thought so. All right. Let's talk about working on our soil this time of year and what we uh, should be doing instead of uh, sticking in summer heat-loving plants. And know your soil. Know what it needs. Uh, We talked over on the KFBK Garden Show about the importance of having a soil test done, knowing the pH of your soil. Probably, from what you've said in the past and what I've noticed in my own soil, the most deficient element in a soil this time of year is probably nitrogen nitrogen gets used up quickly yes and needs to be replaced on a regular basis one way or the other you could certainly buy a fertilizer and do it that way Mm -hmm. uh there are pluses and minuses to that not the least of which is cost but there are other methods too of improving the nitrogen in your soil that we talked about like uh, cover cover crops cover crops yeah yep
2: and, and when you're using cover crops, uh, if you're trying to, I mean, there are two basically two kinds of cover crops. And there are cover crops that produce lots of organic matter mm-hmm. to increase the amount of organic matter in your soil, which is really, really important. So
1: this would be top growth you're talking about? Top and root growth. Okay. All yeah.
2: Right. Um, but they're not legumes. And mm-hmm. legumes, uh, sometimes also called green manures, uh, fix nitrogen. They take nitrogen out of the air that's in the soil. They grab it. They put it into the root, basically the root structure of the plant. It's the bacteria that are attached to the root structure and uh, increase the amount of nitrogen in your soil that way.
1: And then there's the benefits of uh, mulch as well and worm castings that you talked yeah, about. Worm
2: castings and, and compost uh, put, just put on the top of the soil, and the soil biology will, will bring that mm-hmm. down and the rains will bring that down. And the there's an advantage in both compost and even more so with the the worm castings is there's a lot of soil biology in that. And we have a lot of clay in our soils. And one of the things people want to do is loosen up their clay soils. And how do they do that? And typically people will say you till in compost. And I, dis, <laughs> I, I disagree.
1: Some people would say till in gypsum. <laughs> well...
2: Gypsum, I mean, that's a good point. A lot of people will, will think that gypsum will loosen up clay soils. and to, It says
1: it on the bag. To, to
2: some extent <laughs> that that is true. For salty soils. For soils that have an imbalance between calcium and magnesium. And yeah. the only way you're going to know that is to do a soil test from a soil testing service. Mm-hmm. Now, I do soil testing, and I will tell you out of the thousands of soil tests that I've done over the years in our area... In the valley and the foothills, there's what's called the limiting factor, Liebig's Law of the Minimum, which means that the mo- the thing that's most out of whack in your soil, until you fix that, anything else you do isn't going to have much effect. And in about 60% of the cases in, a- in the soils that I've tested in the, in the valley and the foothills, the limiting factor is the imbalance between calcium and magnesium. And one of the answers to fix that is adding gypsum. But if you do not have that imbalance, adding gypsum isn't going to do anything other than kill soil biology, because one of the ingredients in gypsum is sulfur. Sulfur is a natural fungicide, and it kills the soil biology. So before you simply add gypsum, you need to do a soil test first. Um, If you don't want to do the expense of doing a soil test, just add compost or, better yet, worm castings to the surface of the soil and... The, the, the biology will, will open up that soil for you. There are little microscopic organisms and macroscopic organisms that move around in the soil and push the soil particles around and create large pore spaces. And the worms are there that create large pore spaces. And that's how you get good soil structure. And when you have good soil structure, air, water, nutrients soil biology, roots, everything can move through the soil, and the soil can work much more effectively.
1: I am amazed at the hardiness of worms in the soil. I mean, even in in suburban purgatory of Folsom, where I am uh, digging holes for the fruit trees I've been planting, it's pretty rocky soil, it's pretty clay soil, it's pretty moist soil. And yet, There's plenty of worm activity, so that that tells me, well, this is good soil.
2: Well, the reason why it's good soil is because you have put all the wood chips. Yeah. And wood chips, the the nice thing about wood chips is it has lots of different sized particles, and so the smaller particles in those wood chips have now entered the soil, have fed the soil biology, and their populations have exploded. The you know the and and when you have lots of soil biology, you're going to have lots of worms. And another another advantage of having lots of worms that most people don't realize, um, most people have probably touched the worm, and they're really slimy little critters, right? Sure. And and so one of the reasons why they have that slime is so that when they're moving through the soil, the, it's, it's easier. It's like a lubricant to, okay. to move through the soil. But the other reason is that slime is food for all the soil biology.
1: Mm, so it's nutritional slime. Yes,
2: yes. Right. And so...
1: You know. They're leaving behind food for the soil microbes yes. as they move through the yeah. soil.
2: Exactly. Huh.
1: Okay. Yeah, and That's they actually
2: and they actually transplant uh, and move soil biology from one location to another. The soil biology, like we, there's a, somebody said that there's a football game on this afternoon. I don't know. And so the, the kitty
1: bowls
0: on.
2: The, the, so, right. so you know some of the worms are football fans or okay. some of the soil biology are football fans. So they're going to want to go to their friends to watch the game. And so how do they get there? They hop on the backs. Of the worms, and what's cool about that is they're as they're traveling to their friend's house, it's like a dining car. There's food right there on the mm-hmm. side of the worm, and then when they get get to the party, um, the worm is you know moving sli- moving that slime and spreading that slime along the side of the hole that they're they're boring through, providing the buffet for the soil biology at the party.
1: Oh, did you say something? I was watching the kitty bowl. <laughs> We need to take a break. When we come back, we, we talked about the benefits of mulch and how they can improve the soil and increase the worm activity. Let's do the pros and cons of various types of mulch when we come back.
2: Yeah. All right, we'll do and, that. And, and not use kitty, kitty poop in your garden.
1: Well, we can talk Just, about that, too. Good point. It's Where are we? Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. I'm Matt Curtis.
0: Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: Ah, yes, the dulcet guitar strumming of one of my favorite guitarists. Yeah. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, and, yeah. I, can't
2: re- I, and I feel like I should know who it is.
1: He wrote 16 tons. That doesn't help you. I know you're no. thinking Tennessee Ernie Ford. No, Tennessee Ernie Ford sang that song. But uh, this guy is a guitar wizard, uh, the late, great Merle Travis. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, just a whiz at a guitar. Uh, Welcome back to the program. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock after the news. Uh, Well,
2: I get to win a prize.
1: You might. If nobody gets it, you (laughs) will. So uh, we'll see. Uh, Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Uh, There isn't a clue available at FarmerFred.com, but there is at (laughs) at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. There is a clue. We have talked about the benefits of adding mulch, like a three to four inch layer of mulch beneath shrubs and trees out to the drip line can help stop weeds, keeps the ground more moist, feeds the plant as well. You can mulch a garden bed during the winter as well to feed the soil and preserve the moisture. And as you've pointed out at least three times this morning, the fact I'm
2: repetitious, that
1: well no i'm not getting there that that layer of mulch also stops the degrading rain because rain can destroy soil surfaces.
2: Yeah, it, it'll, it'll damage the soil surface.
1: Yes. It's like getting hit with a power washer, yeah. if you would, yeah. and it can actually destroys the soil surface. Yep. The mulch mitigates that and allows that water to become its own natural drip irrigation system, Yeah, and the, slowly and, dripping and, into the soil. And,
2: and what's important, though, is before you put the mulch down is if you have that, it's called surface crust, um, and that's just what it looks like. It's just there's there's no little pore spaces. It's, it looks like cement yeah.
1: almost. Surface crust. That'd be a good name for a band. Yeah. But I think if I was going to m- make a band, I would call it Liebig's Law of the Minimum. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you need to break up that surface crust before you put the, the, the mulch down. And then, you know, people always ask, well, how how thick should should the mulch be? And and, and it really, as Farmer Fred likes to say, it depends uh, on the particle size mm-hmm. of of the mulch. If you're using big hunks of bark, it needs to be thicker. Well, we'll
1: get there in a second because I want to oh. go into the pros and cons of the various kinds of mulch one could use. Okay. So let's start with bark. Now, bark, on, bark, on, bark, on bark, no, I'm not bowl. that kind of bark. Oh, it lasts a long time. Now, bark basically is what you would we're talking about the bagged stuff, yeah, that, or what you'd buy you'd at buy a sand and gravel yeah. yard. The chunks. There's big chunks. There's small chunks.
2: Hunk of wood.
1: Yeah, they they do look lasts a long time it does look nice it can suppress weeds if put on thickly enough um but there are drawbacks to it
2: it doesn't feed the soil very well
1: especially the larger chunks. yeah
2: the, the larger the piece the, lo, the you know the less breakdown of that material is and so you're not that, there's not going to be a lot of organic matter coming off of that that's going to be getting into the soil it's, there's also no basically no food there for the worms to come up to the soil surface. Mm-hmm. Um, although, if you were to use those big hunks of bark and then put compost or earthworm castings on top and water it in a little bit.
1: Really? You would yeah. put the bark down first and then put the worm castings on? Well, first I would, you know, before I put
2: the bark down, I would put the worm castings oh, okay. and All compost down. Right. Okay. But then All you right. put the bark down. Right. You don't have to, at that point, rake it away to reapply more. Yeah,
1: okay. You that makes just, sense.
2: You can just add more and then uh, water it in.
1: So one may be thinking, well, okay, I won't use large bark then, but I like the look of bark, so I'll use a finely shredded redwood bark, sometimes called gorilla hair. Yeah. No offense to the gorillas outside out there. Uh, Thank you. That, I appreciate that. But that is, could lead to other issues, because I have seen a shredded redwood bark smolder from a tossed cigarette butt
2: that and it kind of sometimes can float away in a heavy rain yeah yeah
1: so that has that's the drawback to that now what here's a product that was sold as a mulch i don't see it as much as i used to i don't think it's off the market i just think there's been a lot of resistance and reluctance to use it for some very good reasons and that's cocoa shells
2: oh yeah i loved it um it it, it's fairly fine in, in in particle size um and it breaks down relatively quickly. Uh, but the, the big issue is it's made from chocolate. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when I, we used to sell it at the nursery I worked in, and we would make sure to ask the customer before they purchased it, um, do you have uh, ever have dogs in your property? Because dogs and chocolate don't get along very well. Right. And there's been some health issues uh, related to dogs and, and that material. And I think that's really the major reason why uh you don't see a lot of that around anymore.
1: The, you eventually ended up seeing uh the cocoa shells with very prominently on the label saying it's been detoxified, if you will, that the the active ingredient in the chocolate had been removed. Oh. Hmm.
2: That's interesting. I did not I was not, not aware of Yeah, it.
1: That supposedly it was safe. They so they tried to remarket it as a safe product. And like I say, I haven't seen it much at nurseries. It may be no. there just in smaller quantities no, than I, used to be.
2: Yeah, No, I haven't seen it either. Yeah. Um, but one of the, I mean, I'm a chocoholic. I mean, I'm really addicted Well,
1: to even it. you would not and, be chewing and on and Coca holes.
2: No, but I, I mean, I liked, you know, we would have some on display. And so there would, you know, it'd be open and you could just, you run your fingers through it and you got that wonderful smell of chocolate. Yeah. It was just heavenly. Oh, you are an addict. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, another
1: type of mulch to use, and it's one of my favorites because it's free, chipped shredded tree trimmings.
2: That's actually, for any kind of woody plant, shrubs and trees, that's some of the best material you can use uh, for a couple of reasons. Is that uh, there's la- the, the particle size varies from, from almost a dust-like particle size to sizable hunks of of wood, mm-hmm. and so the, the you know the smaller pieces immediately move into the soil, and start feeding the soil and feeding the, in particular the soil biology, which then feed the plants, and the the chemical makeup of the wood chips as they are breaking down and feeding the soil feed, feeding the soil biology, because it's from a woody material. It's basically the proper proportions of all of your nutrients for woody plants. And so you're, you know, you're giving the soil underneath your woody plants the type of nutrients and the type of food and the type of growing conditions that they
1: want and need. So if you're having your trees trimmed or taken out and uh, you see all your trees being chopped up and thrown into the back of a truck... Uh, you may want to find a place on your own property for that because oh, yeah. it's, if you because if you don't use it, I will. Yeah, and I have been known to walk up to these guys saying, "Hey, if you don't have any use for that, uh, you can just dump it at my place down yeah, the street." Yeah,
2: and a lot and a lot of times, you know, if if you have the have use for for that, uh, and you you but you don't have any trees that are being chopped down, you can you know if you see a trim tree trimming company trimming trees in the neighborhood. You can stop and ask them, yeah. you know, I live here. You, you want to dump it in my driveway? Right. And they would be happy to do so.
1: Some tree companies like Bailey will put you out actually on a list. Yep. And, and they'll call you and say, hey, we're trimming a tree in your neighborhood or taking a tree out. Yep. Do you want it?
2: And yeah. The, the, the only caution, um, because I'm organic, um, you have to worry about is that some trees are treated with pesticides. Um, at this point, I think it's very, very few. Um, but there, you know, in particular, tra- trees being either sprayed with pesticides because not very many companies want to be uh, having the liability issue of, of spraying a pesticide up into the air. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, a very few companies have the technology or, or use the technology to inject pesticides into the tree. Uh, the only you know, some of the one of the more common materials that some uh, trees might be exposed to is, is the, the neonicotinoids, the imidacloprid, which the is a systemic, one, which is a systemic, which then gets into all of those wood chips. Yeah,
1: but how um, long does it last? And if you chop it up into fine pieces, does it dissipate?
2: We don't. There hasn't. There's been very limited research as to how long it lasts. The only study that I am aware of was done on eucalyptus trees some years ago. My guess is when the the, the, the Lerp psyllid yeah. was around. And they tested the tr- the, the tree uh, and the toxicity level of the imidacloprid 18 months after the application, and it was still a toxic level. But so, that was a,
1: a living tree at that, that point. That was a living tree at the time. My question is, after you've chipped and shredded it, how long does yeah, it last? Yeah, I have,
2: I have no idea. A question um, for the agent. But, but what I like to do... Um, is one you know if I can use use the the wood chips for my own property, but if not, um, I would age it. I would let it sit, you know, okay. you know, basically let it compost. And what's what's really cool, and, and when I teach soils, um, I bring in a sample of, of one of my old wood chips file piles. <laughs> um, and uh, there's there's a critter called the uh, actinobacteria, and A lot of gardeners who have, like, bark mulch or woody mulch, probably at the end of this month or sometime in February or in in March, if they they, they disturb their mulch or wood chips, they're going to see this white, Mm -hmm. fungi-looking thing. (laughs) And they're going to say, oh, I got some sort of nasty thing growing here. No, it's good. It's good. It's the actinobacteria, and they're decomposing that material.
1: All right. When we come back, uh, more pros and cons on various kinds of mulch that you may be thinking about adding to your yard. And we'll be answering more of your gardening questions, too. Got a mulch question in here, so we'll talk about that as well. As we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Hey!
0: listening to get growing with farmer fred talk 650 kste here again fred hoffman with steve zion from
1: living resources company garden grappler coming up in a few minutes people calling in with questions we can make up answers 576-1578 here in the 916-866-331-8255 if you're outside the area maybe you're in garden valley like roberta hi roberta where are you roberta You're there somewhere. I'm up up in the hills. You're good for you. How are you?
4: I'm uh, enjoying the sunshine and getting a tan.
1: (laughs) All right. Good for you. What's up today?
4: Well, um, I've got a lapin uh, cherry tree, and it's on miniature stalk, and I'm going to knee it, but I don't know whether I should do a horizontal cut or I should do a
1: slanted cut. Ooh, yes, that Good that's that, that's another great uh, one of those uh, garden myths that goes back and forth uh, depending on who you talk to and when you talk to them. Do you make and it goes true with pruning roses too? Do you make a slanted cut or do you just make a level cut? And most of the reasoning that's popular these days is just make a level cut because when you start doing a slanted cut, you take a greater risk of injuring the bark of not doing a a good clean cut and leaving an opening for water or diseases whereas a a nice level cut where you can get your full maximum pressure on the cut is is better for the plant in the long run.
4: Okay well that's what I was wondering because I've you know read two varieties of that so
2: well, and, a, and 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 I, 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 and and Fred and I disagree with this. One. Okay, All right. you um, would do an I,
4: angular okay. cut, uh,
1: would
2: uh, you? Just just a slightly a comment. just a slight angular, you know, not a lot, but just a little bit, so that it's not perfectly flat. So when it rains or it irrigates, you don't get water sitting, you know, sitting on top of
3: it. You well,
4: know? that's what I was thinking, yeah. you
2: know. Uh, Just a yeah,
4: lot, tiny, tiny bit part. angle. If, if you yeah.
1: do it at an angle, though, make sure it's high enough below, above the next bud because generally when you make those cuts, you want to do it right above a bud. But if you do it at an right. angle, there is the danger of cutting into that bud. So if you do yeah. want to put it at an angle, go up a half inch or so and then make that angular cut.
4: Okay, uh, I uh, used to raise sheep and horses, and uh, we got a load of uh, tree trimmings and stuff like that from a company. And uh, unfortunately, they had also been uh, trimming oleander bushes, oh. was highly poisonous. Yeah. Yep. And and it was green, and the horses wanted to nibble at it, you know, and I used to use it to uh, put around the walkways to the barn, you know, mud. Okay, yeah. So that's, that's something, depending on the person and uh, their environment, they should uh, consider.
1: That's a very good point, yep, Roberta, good point. is know the source. And we, we kind of alluded to that, but it's very important. If you're getting a free load of, of chipped or shredded tree or shrub trimmings, ask them before they dump it. Well, what's in here? Yeah.
4: Yeah, and a lot of times they don't know. Well, you know? yeah. Or they. Or they <laughs> you'll
1: recognize <laughs> be, yeah. you'll recognize an oleander but the uh the trick is is to uh take take a good look at it uh, yourself uh before yeah. they dump it of course you never know if it's buried deeper inside the truck yeah. what it is but yeah hopefully they would know if they have oleander or not
4: Yeah and all the barn cats love to sit on the pile because you could see it steaming
1: Yes it was warm yeah, yeah it was very warm Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I I once did I stuck my soil th- thermometer into uh, uh, one of those piles of chipped and shredded yep. tree trimmings to see what the temperature was in there. It was 140 degrees. Yeah, at two feet down yep. into that pile. Yeah. Okay. Oh, hey, Roberta, good answer. I right. uh, hope right. we helped. Bye-bye. All right, bye. All right. They, they
2: have been known. It's very rare, but wood you know wood chip piles have been known to go into spontaneous combustion. They get so hot,
1: just like piles of tires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well,
2: I don't think I think something starts that. Oh, do you? yeah
1: okay i don't know tina and carmichael how are you i'm doing good how about yourself we're doing fine thanks for calling yeah i have a uh i I planted a
3: bare root uh prune tree a a sweet plum or a sweet prune okay and um it's a you know Dave dave wilson beautiful tree but you know it starts branching out about four feet tall and has these branches that come up, you know, a little over five feet. Should I just go ahead and forget all that and just chop it off at the knees? How old a tree is it? I just planted it about uh, three three weeks ago. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, go yep. ahead and chop it off at the... Now, it's a single-variety tree. It's not a multi-budded yeah. tree. Okay.
3: No, 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 no. no. All right.
1: <laughs> it's a single-budded tree, if if you can, if, if it has a, a lower scaffolding system that's maybe... Two or three feet off the ground, you could cut it right above that lowest scaffold. The There's lowest.
3: no there. If it, all the branches are cut off except for the top. Oh yeah, yeah then go ahead and cut
1: it off at the knee. Yeah, yeah. Great. I'm glad because I want to keep it small. Yeah, <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. And then you should be matching the color of the paint on my hand today, which is sort of an off white. Paint it with a 50 50 mix of water and interior white latex paint or at least a, a shade of white a light colored paint in order to prevent that tree from getting sunburned and because the, it can't protect itself
2: and the important okay, work, so the, the I, important uh, word that he okay. said was interior make sure yeah. it's interior no, not exterior. Yeah.
1: yeah go ahead
3: okay so what i did i, I had this white uh plexi tape that's made for tree trunks is is that okay or should i just get rid
1: of that and use paint yeah, uh, use the paint. Use the paint. Yeah, because the problem with that tape is it, it could harbor some piss. Yep. Scale love to go inside those things. Yeah, and, and it could oh. also
2: restrict air, air circulation. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, that
1: trunk is breathing.
2: Yeah.
1: And and the okay. paint, and, and interior paint will still allow that tree to breathe. Excellent. Good I
3: will I will go do that.
1: And mix it with water, 50-50. Can it
3: be kind of light pink?
1: Yeah, uh, mine is eggshell oh, colored. Oh, yeah, light pink. Yeah, that'd be fine.
3: Okay, just anything light. Okay. Yes.
1: Yeah. All right, Dina. Right, Thanks for Thanks calling. Time. All right. Bye. All right. There's a garden grappler coming up in just a few minutes. Terry, you ready for that? Are you ready for the garden grappler? All right. He says he is. So uh, there is a clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. If you've been paying attention at all this hour, if you don't have too many mimosas in you, you'll probably <laughs> know an answer or two off the top of your head. But uh, there's plenty of uh, sources available for uh, today's garden grappler answer. Oddly enough, it is not Super Bowl related what's super, what, what yeah what, i know hmm? what's what's the super bowl the um
2: and i'm an owner of the green bay packers and there's no super Bowl. yeah so. that's
1: too bad well we'll the, the kitty bowl's on cool <laughs> you can watch the kitty bowl all right we'll take that break and then come back with the garden grappler and get growing on talk 650 kste guy
0: Get growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's
1: Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Steve Zion is here from Living Resources Company. He is the official judge and jury. If you don't come up with a good final answer, then he gets the big prize. So whatever
2: whatever you answer, it's not going to (laughs) work.
1: Well, I think it will. If you were listening earlier, you should have an answer to this. Many answers. Yes, and you will need a backup answer, no doubt. Name a variety of mulch. Name a variety of mulch for your yard. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. So name a variety of mulch. Why, just ten minutes ago we were talking about several different varieties of mulch. Yeah, I can't remember that far back. I know, me neither. But uh, I bet people can and will, and a clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. The numbers to call in, 576- 1578 in the 916. 576- 1578. Outside the area, 866- 331-8255. 866- 331-8255. Terry and Mike are in the control room. They're ready to talk to you and Line you up, and I hope we don't have to shoot you down. And you have some good answers on naming a variety of mulch.
2: And at the moment, we're not taking answers via email. Is that
1: correct? That is correct. Nor text, nor carrier pigeon. Okay. Just the old-fashioned telephone. No it telegraph? P- Te- no telegraph. No telegraph. No, no, sorry. Passenger pigeon? I said that. Carrier mm. pigeon. Carrier pigeon. Yeah. Uh, no smoke signals either. Mm. Sorry. Five seven six fifteen seventy eight. How about what? How
2: about those flags that they use in the? Semaphore.
1: Navy. <laughs> Semaphore. All right. Eight six six. Oh, th- he
2: said. He said you can. You can use the flags. <laughs> Semaphore. That, that's right. acceptable. Well,
1: remember, for whatever reason, Armstrong and Getty in this studio have covered up the windows with paper.
2: Oh, so we won't be able to see. So that won't work. I, Sorry. I think
1: they did that as a protective mechanism to keep them as a non-targeted species from snipers. Ah. Uh, But anyway, so that's a different story. Anyway, people are calling. We'll get your answers. But while you're ruminating on that, we will go to a non-mulch topic. And um, it's something that's rather interesting. A, A woman sent me a picture of her lemons, her Meyer lemons. And you may have seen this on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. The lemons, the rind. Was chosen away or right. eaten chosen. away? Chode, chew it, chowed <laughs> chowed away, chewed away, Chowed away. Talk much? Nah, I'm new at this.
2: I don't think he's. I don't think he would be very good on the as a radio show host. I don't think host. so. Eh, can't no. talk.
1: Uh, anyway, it was just the the rinds, the skin, the peel that was chewed away. The flesh was intact. Now, what sort of pest? Diane from Sacramento writes in and says, I, "Who's doing this? It's the strangest thing. It's a." Uh, and, you know, you go online and you start reading about, well, okay, maybe it's rats. And you go to the UCIPM page and it talks about how rats will eat the flesh, or the fruit and leave the rind intact. It's yeah. like they just drill a hole, eat all the fruit inside, then come back out and have these hollow <laughs> shells hanging on the tree. It turns out, I, I was talking with... Um, Roger Baldwin, who's, a, do you know Roger? He is a UC vertebrate pest specialist. Yeah, no, I don't think so. And Roger did some research for me about roof rats, and he says, yeah, roof rats also can just eat the skin and leave the flesh intact. And that's roof rats. And then I got an email this morning from uh, Debbie Errington at, from the bee, and she caught a squirrel doing exactly the same thing to her lemons, just yeah. eating the skin but leaving the flesh Intact, and that's kind of amazing. So, I,
2: I think with the, 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 the thing that I want to point out here is a lot of people, when they see that, will assume, you know, just say, Oh, it's got to be this or that, or that, and then they'll start putting out poisons or pesticides or something. And the, the, unless you know what the pest is, all you're doing is polluting the environment and wasting your time and money. Um, it's really important before you do any kind of pest control strategy is to find out what the pest is and in in many cases uh, one thing that they that she could have done that really isn't a a pesticide but th- figure it's some sort of critter it 's not likely a bug um, she could put some there there are numerous repellent type materials that she could have uh, you know sprayed on that are non-toxic um and that work on a on a variety of different critters but it's it's really important before you start managing things especially with with things that are toxic like pesticides you know what the pest is
1: know your pest and that's yep. true with anything yep. yep and the the addendum to that the corollary is if a pest is not listed on a pesticide that you're purchasing, it's not going to work yeah. on that pest yeah. that you think. All right. So just because it says that uh, it'll kill uh, aphids and white flies and you think, okay, well, that'll kill that caterpillar on the tree. Yeah. Actually, it won't.
2: Yeah. And and, and I, again, from my history of working in the nursery industry, I remember often people would you know have a, a problem with their plant. And they had some sort of pesticide, and they would just spray it on their plant. And I remember several times; it didn't happen a lot, but it happened several times. Somebody would say, "You know, I, you know, I, I've got this pest," and they'd bring in a sample. And typically, in in these instances, the sample would be dead. Mm-hmm. And they said, "You know, this pest is so bad; it killed my plants." And she, and we'd say, "Well, you know, what what did you do anything?" And they'd say, "Yeah, we sprayed." something. And I said, well, why'd you spray? Well, we only had one thing in the the garage. And I I think it was Roundup. And so, you know, there are different kinds of pests. There are weeds, there are insects, there are mollusks, there are animals. And each kind of pest needs its own kind of pest control. You cannot use, like mites. A lot of people think that they can use an insecticide on mites. Well, mites are not insects. And the insecticides will not work on them. That's right. So, you need to know what the pest is, and you need to know, make sure that 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 pest is listed on the label, and you need to know if that plant that you're spraying is on the label as well, because there are some Mm -hmm. pest control products. That can be harmful to sensitive
3: plants,
1: and some products may even say try on a small area of this plant before we're spurring on the whole plant. Yeah,
2: which is which. Which if you're something, if it's something new that you haven't used, it might be a good idea anyway. Yeah.
1: Uh, but let's. Uh, I hate to assume, but let's assume it is roof rats. Let's. Yeah. So we we need to capture some rats uh, rats in a lemon tree, and there are a lot of things available. But you make a very good point about not putting out rat poison where it can get a eaten by not only your pets but think of what happens when a rat eats the poison Mm -hmm. walks 20 feet in your yard keels over and then a bird a bird of prey comes along and picks up that rat and eats that rat that bird or or a dog or
2: a cat or a dog
1: or a cat yeah and Mm -hmm. bad things happen to that eater of the rat so
2: secondary poisoning
1: so there are some interesting new products on the market for rat control. Yep. In the past, we talked about the rat zapper, which is it looks sort of like a lunchbox. And you bait the inside with peanut butter peanut or, butter or what, whatever. Used, yeah. The rat goes inside. This unit is powered by a couple of D-sized batteries. And basically, the thing is electrocuted. Yep. Instantaneous
2: death. Yes. So it's somewhat humane.
1: I have talked. About this on the air before and have gotten emails from pest control operators who say be very careful with those units because they have seen them catch fire because I don't know if it's a short in the system or the uh, electronic zapper in the machine somehow sets their fur on fire or what happens but they said they have seen these burned units and if this unit is in a place that you're not monitoring on a regular basis such as in an attic your house could go up in flames yeah and
2: and i think you know it's really important to monitor them on a regular basis
1: yeah anyway so that and that brings up to one that you discovered what was that uh
2: that's the good nature rat trap um the problem is is it's rather expensive 150 to 200 dollars uh so that that limit (laughs) limits the the market but it's this really cool thing you you mount it to a to a wall or a tree or or and uh it works on a, comp- a compressed CO2 cartridge, and the uh, it's made by good nature. You, they've got videos online that, that are really kind of fun and interesting to watch. They will crawl, the, the rat or the mouse will crawl up into this little tube in the device, and when they crawl in far enough, they trigger some sort of sensor, and I'm not sure what the sensor is. but uh, And then the CO2 um, very, very forcefully... Takes a plunger and squishes their head in again, again instant death. (laughs) Does it have a sound
1: effect? Does it go boink?
2: I no. I I usually watch with my sound off. Oh, okay. But um, and then the rat will will, you know, fall down and and lay on the ground. And I've seen this at least at least one video where there's you know a dead mouse and then another mouse or another rat goes up and he gets zapped and then another rat comes by and sees two of his friends oh this is probably pretty cool apparently they don't know that their friends are dead
1: so how many rats can one co2 canister
2: Um, i believe it's like 50 really and and they say that if you've got this in an outdoor area where there are cats um or raptors or or some sort of mouse rat eating critters that you don't even have to do any maintenance because they're just laying on the ground underneath it, and they will be hauled away, and there's no toxic issue hmm. with it, and so they they look really really interesting, and I would love to to, to see one work and you know, but okay uh, so you
1: don't have personal experience with I this. do not have personal okay.
2: experience with it right. um I'm you know I and don't this have,
1: is called the Good Nature A twenty four automatic rat and mouse trap
2: yeah yeah but it's it's, it's really pretty interesting and they and they have different models for for bigger critters too
1: i don't want to go there (laughs) we'll take a short break when we come back we have five people maybe six people lined up for the garden grappler in case someone falters all five people win a prize bonus prize for caller five they're going to name a variety of mulch we'll find out when we come back to get growing on talk 650 kste get ready to
0: start You are listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we have five people lined up for the Garden
1: Grappler who say they can name a variety of mulch. Prizes for all five. Caller 5 gets a bonus prize. Who is first, Fred? Why first would be Sarah here in Sacramento. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fine. I think Steve is okay, too. But he'll complain about anything. So we'll see. Go ahead, Sarah, right, so give I have us a an answer,
5: and I also have a question afterwards. All right. Um, my answer will be the shredded redwood bark.
1: Shredded redwood bark, Steve Zion. Yeah. You, have to put, you have to turn on the mic, Steve. I can't hear you unless you turn the yes. microphone on. Okay, that, that's, yes. That's a great answer. All right, shredded redwood bark. Good answer. And I have for you, Sarah. What do we have for everybody today, Fred? We have butterflies, hummingbirds, and beneficial insects. Well, it's a plant list uh, of California natives that attract those three. As well as the UCIPM Weeds in the Landscape brochure. And, Steve, you gave me something to give away. Yes, what? I did. What
2: was it? It was the 10 Most Wanted Bugs in Your Garden.
1: That's it. The 10 Most Wanted. Well, it's not the 10 Most Wanted Bugs themselves. It's a brochure with nice color pictures of the 10 beneficials you want in your yard. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, right. So we'll send you that way. I will use the full allotment of a first-class postage stamp to mail those to you.
5: <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Um, and maybe the, question, the answer to my question will be in one of those brochures, but um, I know, Fred, that you say Bermuda grass is forever. Yes. Are there any tips for managing it, trying to keep it somewhat in check, aside from just hand-pulling?
1: Hand-pulling is your best bet. There are some chemical controls, and notice I said controls and not eradication techniques. Um, Monterey makes a product uh, for uh, I wonder if it's still on the market even, uh, for Bermuda grass control. What does Bermuda grass not like? It it does not like shade. So if you can keep the area shady. What, it, what, where is it growing? That's Yeah, that's a good question.
5: Um, well, we had a Bermuda grass lawn in the front yard when um, we moved in, and we um, took that out and put in um, a variety of you – know, we've got some planting beds, we've got some um, – We put in some gravel and brick walk, and then just, you know, different plants. We've got hydrangeas and uh, purple hop seed and rosemary and a whole bunch of different plants out there. Um, And the Bermuda grass is kind of creeping up and creeping back and trying to move through the whole landscape.
2: If if you're willing to do a little bit of work, um, something that will, you know, reduce the amount of area that you're going to have to pull is what's called sheet mulching. And sheet mulching basically would, would entail removing all of the, the bark or whatever kind of mulching material that you have there, uh, mowing or weed-eating any kind of vegetation as close to the ground as you can, putting down compost or earthworm castings, putting down cardboard or multi-layered paper, and, um, and then putting compost on top of that and then bark or some sort of mulch on top of that. And if you're using cardboard or paper, make sure you overlap a lot. And, like six and, inches or
5: more?
2: Yeah. Okay. Because Bermuda is creeping, and it, it, you know it'll, it'll creep around. Um, they do offer uh, cardboard in rolls from paper companies, and so depending upon the size of the area, uh, then you wouldn't have the seams. Um, that's an expensive but, but option. That's, but that's a yeah. much more expensive option, yeah.
1: The, and you have to buy it in big rolls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, the product I was uh, referring to is still available. It's called Turflon Ester, and it's from uh, Monterey. And like I say, it is not an eradicator. It is a control for Bermuda grass in cool season lawns.
5: Okay, and will that bother my other plants, or is it just targeted at... It says
1: here on the label, can be used on outdoor ornamentals, lawns, vegetables, and fruit trees. They probably have a list on the label of the plants it can and cannot be uh, yeah. put around, so I would uh, read the label before you purchase it. Yep. Right, read and follow all label instructions. Yeah, somebody yep. says that, yeah. Yep. <laughs> hey, Sarah, I'll be sending you all that stuff in the mail. Okay, thank you very all much. All right, thanks for the redwood it, shredded bark. Right. And
2: Monterey is pretty good in, in being able to find the labels online. Yeah, they are.
1: Oh, okay, they're, great. They're, I'll they're, check that out. All all right. Thank you. Sure. All right, calling number two in today's Garden Grappler, it's Zella up in Lincoln. Hi, Zella. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. What kind of mulch do you like? Straw. Straw, Straw yeah. Very, very good. All right. I, I remember one of the first organic
2: gardening books that I read um, was by a lady called Ruth Stout. And I think she, I think her the name of the book, if I recall correctly, was the no Work Garden. The
1: Work Garden, yeah.
2: Um, and uh, she used the straw mulch, and, and it was to feed the soil and control weeds. And she never did. She never did any weeding. She was this like seventy or eighty year old little lady, and if she saw a weed, she would just put down more straw mulch. She used straw mulch.
1: And I'm glad you said straw and not hay. Because hey. hey, yeah, because hay is probably living material with seeds, like yep. alfalfa seeds or whatever. And straw is basically the dead stems, and that's what you want to use. But uh, straw is a good answer, so I'll be sending you the Weeds in the Landscape uh, brochure from the IPM folks, uh, the Butterfly, Hummingbird, and Beneficial Insects California Native Plant List, and from Steve, uh, the 10 Most Wanted Bugs in Your Garden brochure. Thank you very much. All right, Zella, thanks for calling. Appreciate uh-huh, it. Bye-bye. All right, caller number three in today's Garden Grappler. It is Phil in Moraga. Hi, Phil.
6: Gentlemen, how are you? I'm, I'm still I'm still into this slime story, so. <laughs> okay. Best story <laughs> I ever heard in my life. Anyway, um, um, I have a quick question, if I may, before I ask the question.
1: Okay, but just don't forget to give us an answer.
6: Uh, I'll give you an answer. All right. I'm, I'm, I've got a little slope that I'm working on right now. It's a 45-degree angle hmm. from... The so we'll walkway down to a driveway. Yeah, they that's that's out. a pretty steep slope. Out. Let me keep going real quick, all right, Fred? Alright. Uh, they ripped out all the rosemary. So now I've got, you know, just some daffodils up there. And um I'm just wondering about a mulch that I might be able to use that won't slough too much. So i right. probably put it in and also I'm looking for some some kind of plants, hopefully uh oh green ones. There you go, all right, real easy. Um, that will produce a lot of roots real fast.
1: Yeah, you're, you're looking at a grass primarily yeah. to, to stabilize that hillside. Now, it, the yeah. good news is uh, Delta Bluegrass sells some native Nomo fescue mixes. Yep. Oh, perfect. Yeah, Which would work, and they only get about three or four inches tall.
6: Oh, no, the Nomo, I'm sorry, the Nomo is perfect.
1: Yep. And that would be, and this is the good time of the year, uh, especially in this weather, yep. uh, for re- establishing something like that.
2: yeah and the the advantage i mean i'm you know when people are establishing you know grasses i always recommend that if it's available as sod yes it's more expensive initially um but if you're using seed then a lot of weed seeds are going to come up and then you're going to be battling with the weed seeds and if you if you start with good clean sod and delta bluegrass is a really good company and and it should be weed free um
6: they have both
1: sod and seed by the way yeah um, what about
6: um, we're getting background noise. Not for me. What about um, clumping grasses?
1: Well, you could, but then what about the this, ground that's not getting held by the roots? Yeah,
2: you know, well, yeah, you you, you, you need you need this, the the entire soil surface to be covered.
6: Okay. All right. Now, do you, you want an answer?
1: Yes. Yes.
6: Okay. I I I I'll say two, but one will never be used.
1: No. Say say you're gonna, s- say s- the I, right I'll one. Say rubber, it,
6: I'll say rubber mulch.
1: It's it, not it, the one i want to use yeah It'll i know okay pay. all right yeah be the contrarian
2: yes you you could use it It certainly it would, it's, horrible. it's not recommended it's but it's horrible it's you know it could be used um you, it
1: could be toxic
6: no don't yeah, please, it, nobody listening please never use this stuff
2: i i fully agree
1: now there are those who say but we want to put it under playground equipment so that when the kid falls off the swing he'll won't hurt himself or what if you're
6: in the mountains and you want to put it around your yard and the fire
2: happens?
1: Uh, it's going to stink.
2: Yeah, and, and make shit. lots of horrible smoke. And and yeah. there and there's there is a question as to whether it is you know when it's bro- you know broken up into the small little tiny pieces um, whether there's there's uh, some toxic qualities to it. Yeah, I mean that's why it has to go to a toxic waste dump.
1: But I did not say name a variety of good mulch. The question was name a variety of mulch. Yes. Period.
6: Sorry I threw it out there, but I hope people
1: don't use that. And you gentlemen okay. have a great day. It was a beautiful program. All right, Phil. Thanks for Hilarious. calling. All right.
2: Thanks. I mean, I mean that's that's I mean it's a legitimate yeah, answer. Yeah. And it's good that it you know, it came out because we can
1: tell people, Yes, it's mulch, but don't use it. Yes, because oh, it's got old tires in it. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's recycled yeah. tires. Yeah. You know, I- God. anyway we'll take a short break when we come back callers four and five in today's garden grappler who will the grand prize winner be me what what mulch varieties are left oh there's plenty yeah we'll find out when we come back to get growing on talk 650 kste have you noticed?
0: get growing continues with farmer fred Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, looking for callers
1: four and five in today's Garden Grappler to name a variety of mulch. The answers so far have included shredded redwood bark. Good answer. Straw. Good answer. Rubber mulch, which is a good answer, but... It's an an (laughs) answer, but... It's an
2: acceptable answer, but it's
1: bad. It's Yeah, you don't want to use rubber mulch just because of the problems that may entail from using ground-up tires. All right, call at number four in today's Garden Grappler down in Atlanta, Georgia, or in that vicinity, is Priscilla. Hi, Priscilla. Hi, Fred. How are you? I'm Hi, doing... F- How are you doing? We're doing fine, and I hope uh, everything is fine down south.
4: It is. I was sorry to hear. I was number five, and I guess you can't ship it to me. Well, there you go. <laughs>
1: That's, you know, that that could be true.
4: Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. I was going to bequeath
1: it to number six. Oh, well, <laughs> anyway. You understand. I do. Okay, good. Do you have an answer? I do. Okay.
4: What they use down here everywhere is um, pine straw.
1: We got straw. No, she's saying oh, pine, pine straw. Oh, pine straw. Oh, pine, okay. Pine All right. oh, okay. Pine needles. Yeah. Okay, pine needles. All yep. right. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's a good thing down here everywhere. I don't know how good it is, but it, it does stop the weeds. Steve, give us a warning about using pine needles because a lot of people have pine trees. There's a lot of needle buildup, but there are drawbacks.
2: Well, the big one is fire.
1: Oh, there's that. Yeah. But also, if you put it on too thickly, you can have an anaerobic environment.
2: It'd have to be pretty thick, but yeah, it, that can happen. Yeah. It, it depends what, you know, how, I mean, if it's, if it's dry, it, I, I wouldn't think that that would be a problem. Yeah.
1: Unless it's, unless you put it down really, really thick. Yeah. But anyway, no pine needles. Good answer, Priscilla. So I, I'll be sending you some brochures that will work for you in Georgia, mm-hmm. including the 10 most wanted bugs in your garden. And I uh, like that. it is a good one. And, uh, uh, weeds in the landscape you probably have weeds in georgia in that slick georgia clay yes sir all right and um i'll, I'll find something else to throw in the envelope for you great thanks Fred. all right Prisella, Bye. thanks for calling bye-bye all right that brings us to call number five in today's garden grappler the luck of the yeah. irish the luck of <sighs> the irish it's ted in granite bay ted with his hey, you- fancy kubota tractor
7: yes Yes, and I'm not Irish. I just did the ancestry thing. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not going to tell you what I am. Okay. (laughs) Hey, I've got a good answer here, and uh, it's Arvensis fungi. Arvensis?
1: Arvensis fungi. Uh-huh.
2: I have no idea what that is. A R V forest mushroom.
7: It's mushroom compost.
2: Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah. All
1: right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Mushroom compost. Yep. Now, as a mulch, Steve, is that acceptable? Yeah. Okay. All right. It's a stinky.
2: It's on a
7: list I have here.
2: I mean, the the my my concern with mushroom compost, and I don't know, and and this is an old concern. I think the way they make it might be different now, but um. When they're growing mushroom compost, they're trying to make sure that they get the, the the kinds of mushrooms that they want, and nothing else. And so they have there there can be a, a problem with various pesticides used in the manufacture of that material, which would, well, would I, be well. If I had
7: if I'd said newspaper, is there something in the newspaper that uh, would be harmful?
2: Usually not at this point they usually uh, almost all of the the, the, the newspapers are using soy based ink these days.
1: Boy, aren't okay. you slick Ted coming up with these answers bang 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 yeah.
7: Well now the newspaper is good for worms, is that right? Yeah
1: oh yeah For yeah, I, I actually
2: yeah. I actually have a worm bin those are, they're my pets um, and uh, what I feed them is uh, salad greens and then I put uh-huh. news- newspaper on top of that. Uh huh. And so So you don't
7: shred the newspaper or rip it up. I
2: I I, I rip it up lengthwise in uh, roughly half inch strips, and then I uh, soak them in water and then squeeze the water out.
1: Wow, that's a lot of work. Wow,
3: that's a lot of work. That's a
1: little little bit of work. All right, fine. Hey, Ted. All right. You got room for you got room for a fruit tree.
7: I'm gonna have my wife dig a hole today.
1: Yeah, I saw you digging a hole with that tractor auger. And yes. I in Granite Bay, I expected to see granite. Instead, all that came up was this fine, sandy soil as he's digging a post hole for a fence. Oh. And
7: well, it, it, I've got to fill you in. I just finished with two hours on one hole, and it had granite in it. And it, we had to get it deep enough. And it was right next to a tree with the roots. But I've got it when she comes home from church. We're planting that post.
1: <laughs> but I was impressed with the quality of your soil there.
7: Yeah, well, it's not a hole what you saw. You were there a short time.
1: Yes, I know, but it was just one hole I saw getting dug, and yes. that was still amazing that in Granite Bay you're bringing up this fine, sandy That's soil, right. a post hole that could have been dug with a trowel. Yeah. It was yeah. amazing. By the and, way, and this my, is coincidence.
2: And, and what that shows you is the soil can vary from, from very, just – very short little distances. You yes. Can, you can have really a hard clay in one area and, and a sandy soil in another.
1: So I was wondering yeah. about that area of your yard, because it looked like there may have been in that vicinity a seasonal creek. And what There that, is. Okay, and that soil yes. then was basically the detritus of yep. of centuries of, of water.
7: Yes, that there's a pond on next door, and the overflow comes right down through there and into the next neighbors on the other side of the road
1: so you're right. Okay, that would explain the quality of the soil then. Yeah. Because it developed over centuries, basically.
2: Millions of years, not just centuries. Billions. Billions. Billions billions of years.
1: years. (laughs) So, anyway, Ted, I have for you, you, from Dave Wilson Nursery, a five-in-one fruit salad tree featuring the gold dust peach, the July Alberta peach, the Independence nectarine, the Blenheim apricot, and a late Santa Rosa plum all-in-one tree. Don't cut it willy-nilly okay
7: all right all right, right. i'm good uh, and i won't cut it off to my knees no don't exactly.
1: don't don't do that with a multi butted fruit tree exactly yes right all right i know that
7: thank you very much and have a great day and enjoy the game if you get to watch it
1: oh or i it's, think i'm gonna what game i'm gonna clean yeah. my bike all right okay thanks dad all right thank <laughs> all you Right. bye bye i think
2: the basketball
1: game's almost over Oh, there's other basketball games. Nah, the kitty bowl still on, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then the puppy bowl starts. Mm. There we go. All right, well, I
2: want. I'm, I I would watch the worm bowl, but I don't think there's a worm bowl. Yeah, yet.
1: I have a question for you about your uh, vermicomposting system. Your worms that you were talking about. Yes, I'm a little confused now about the worms that should go into a worm system. I have purchased composting worms that were itty bitty worms mm-hmm. and the last batch of worms i got for composting were big red wigglers
2: they shouldn't i mean you can use a multi variety you know you can use different varieties of worms um can I rem- you mix them together i don't see why not i don't know do I'm, they get along i i don't see why not um but do- i don't know i don't have a, enough experience to tell you one way or the other but I do know um, that commercial growers of worm castings, um, most of them use the little red wigglers. But there's, there was one company years ago, and I don't, I, I'm assuming they're still in existence and still using the, the same kind of worms. They were using night crawlers.
1: Okay, yeah, and, that, and that's what uh, these worms that I purchased at a local nursery were. They were nightcrawlers. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't look like any composting worm I've ever yeah. used before. Yeah.
2: You know, t- typically, you use the little tiny white red wigglers, and they're, they're oh, my guess is two inches long, and they're really, really skinny.
1: Yeah, exactly, to be able to fit through the holes in a multi-leveled vermicomposting system.
2: Oh, well, mine's not multi-level. it's Mine's just one level.
1: Oh, I, I have a condo. Yeah, I think it's four four trays. Wow. Yeah. And all the good stuff goes right to the bottom. So you A just last neighborhood. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you know, my you know, my mine has holes in the bottom where the the tea, if you will, mm-hmm. the liquid material comes out.
1: Yeah. And so that area is must be enriched with worm tea. Yes. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's worth saving.
2: Every time I, I give my worms new food, which is roughly once a week, um, I take that out and pour it on some sort of plant. Yeah, it doesn't in, make in sense to throw it away or waste no, it. No, no, because it, it's, it's got lots of soil biology, and it's, it's, good, it's good stuff. It's got new, lots of nutrients. Something that people don't realize is that worms eat all sorts of different kinds of organic matter, mm-hmm. whatever can fit into their mouth. And we talked about fertilizers on the other show, and the major ingredients in fertilizer is nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash. those three numbers they' on the bags of the fertilizer. And when a worm eats something, what comes out the other end, which is what's called worm castings, or better known as worm, worm poop, poop. Yes. Um, has seven to eight times more nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash than when in
1: the mouth. Wow. yeah. I mean it's it, they're a fertilizer machine, exactly. <laughs> all right. And they were never involved in the munitions industry either. <laughs>
2: That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. All
1: right. We'll take a short break when we come back. For some reason, Steve is still here, so uh, we'll keep talking gardening, I guess. Yeah. All right. I'm we'll talk about
2: worms some more. Well,
1: okay. We'll my, delve into the buddies. email you're sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Answer your phone questions as well as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Does your computer run so-
0: You are listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's uh, delve into the email you've been sending
1: to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Steve Zion is here from Living Resources Company. He's been a soils consultant for years and years and years, an organic gardening consultant. Yes. And uh, I think he still has a working business phone. So
2: 916-726-5377. It's a landline too, isn't it? Yes. God, you're so old-fashioned. Yeah. All right. Uh, and you have a website. Organiclandscape dot com.
1: When was the last time you changed it? When I made it. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I've changed it a couple times, but it's probably been 15 years.
1: <laughs> it works. It works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. I'm still, yeah. All right. Uh, email question from Diana up in Loma Rica says, "I missed most of your program the other week and heard you mention." leaf leg bugs on pomegranates. That would be the leaf-footed bug. What damage do they do? I've had them in mass for several years. The leaf-footed bug is an interesting problem uh, and growing in our area. And it is an insect with piercing, sucking parts. So it can do a lot of damage, vector diseases. And true to its name, its rear feet have kind of like paddles. Yeah, and it's very distinctive. When you see a an insect that looks like a squash bug, except its rear legs have duck feet. Yeah, that Or, is or the,
2: the the and the immatures actually look like the the same as the immature assassin bug.
1: Oh yeah, it does. They're
2: You're they're right. like they're yeah. like identical. The only difference is you look at their back legs, and the leaf footed bug, even on the nymph stage, has that widening. Uh, um, Above the ankle, if yeah. you will.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and the assassin bug is a good guy. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah,
2: yeah you're right. They're- and and typically you you need a fair amount of these for, for for them to do damage. I mean, she didn't say that she's finding and seeing any damage. And you know, just because you see a Well, bug,
1: she says they're on their pomegranates, so I gotta figure they're oh, damaging her pomegranates. They're
2: really bad on pomegranates. Yeah. They're really bad on pomegranates. Um there are some natural enemies that work. Uh, so you don't want to use any of the the, the, the nasty pesticides. Um, you can cover the the plant with like a like a floating row cover type technique to exclude the bugs out. Um, but insecticidal soap works. Uh, the neem oils, uh, na- the natural pyrethrum also works. So uh, those are those are some options. I would start with the insecticidal soap. With the insecticidal soap, they just realize that you have to hit the bug. Yeah. So you need really good coverage.
1: And what about knocking them off uh, early in the morning when they're not as active and, uh, and into you, a bucket of soapy water? Yeah, that would work, too. Okay. Now, it's not just pomegranates, too. They are a pest of tomatoes, and farmers in California report it as a pest of almonds, pistachios, as well as pomegranates. And it's also been found on cotton in California, young citrus fruits, watermelon, several ornamental trees and shrubs. So the leaf-footed bug... Uh, likes a lot of things that are in your yeah. yard. Yeah.
2: Another thing you want to do is, it, you know, if, if you're out there in your garden and landscape in the pomegranates, they have very unique eggs that you can really see. And you can just, if you can remove, you know, if you can go out there and scout and look for the eggs, uh, they're basically look like a, a brown segmented worm. Looks like, kind a, of,
1: looks like a, a straight pretzel.
2: Yeah. That, yeah. But with, with segments. Yeah. And um, you can go to the UCIPM UC and look up leaf-footed bug, and the picture's there. Um, and so if you go out there and you see see the the eggs, just remove the eggs and and destroy them.
1: Right now, you may find them in their overwintering sites, and they like to be in wood piles under the bark of eucalyptus, juniper, or cypress, as well as in outbuildings. It makes me want to want to go home. Clean out my woodshed yeah. and see what's there. On yeah. the other hand, do I really want to find what else might be in there? <laughs> That's the thing. So I mean,
2: yeah, th- these are you know these critters and they're and they're becoming more and more in our area. Like to spend the winter inside buildings, and so it's really yeah. important if you have uh, any kind of uh, the, the stink bugs and the squash bugs and the, the brown marmorated stink bug, for right. example, and mm-hmm. and the leaf-footed bugs. They like to, to, to come and visit you in the wintertime. And so it's really important uh, before fall that you seal up the house or seal up your outbuildings really, really well so they don't have access.
1: Which reminds me that the KSTE Farm Hour is on this very radio station from noon until 1 o'clock. And on that program, we're going to be talking about uh, the problems at Oroville Dam and how a lot of the shortcuts taken when they were building that thing 50 years ago finally reared their ugly head uh, last February when the spillways, both the main and the emergency spillway, had all those problems. So that was a very interesting report that was released and caused a lot of damage to farmland downstream uh, with the ebb and flow of the Feather River as they attempted to release and, and control the flows coming out of Oroville, and just the rising and lowering of that river destroyed some levees, which caused a lot of problems in surrounding farmland. And uh, strawberry fields in California are not necessarily forever, uh, Acreage is shrinking, and a big concern of farmers now is the shipping costs to move their fruit across the country, or vegetables. In one case of strawberries, it was costing $10,000 for,
0: for... strawberry
1: For to, a, not <laughs> Per strawberry, <laughs> but for a truckload of strawberry to go to the East Coast. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's uh, what uh, President Trump uh, had to say about NAFTA during his State of the Union address. Uh, here's a... Little hint, he didn't say anything. (laughs) But then what he didn't say may be just as important. And also, we're going to have tips on controlling gophers. Gophers are getting busy right now. Gophers are uh, looking to make some homes. You know, right now, it is skunk mating season. February, historically in our area, if you start seeing the dead skunk uh, stinking to high, high heaven in the middle of the road, it's because they were looking for a mate, uh, looking for a home. And gophers are in much the same way. They're starting to... You're going to st- start seeing a lot of gopher mounds popping up. And uh, one of the reasons is they're looking to make new homes. Uh-huh. And so this is uh, gopher control time. All that will be on the KSDE Farm Hour between noon and 1 o'clock on this very radio station. You know, in the minute we have left, why don't you mention what you're going to be doing this coming week?
2: I'm going to be teaching uh, a couple of classes. Uh, the first one is the on um, soil science, and it's part of a three- segment class called Building and Maintaining Healthy Soil. It's part of the River-Friendly Landscaping Green Gardener Training uh, for Landscape Professionals class. And then on Saturday I'm going to be teaching a half-day class um, on Integrated Pest Management and Advanced Perspective. And it's half-day and that class is being offered at the La Sierra Community Center from 830 to noon and for information on both classes uh, go to rescapeca.org. Rescapeca.org. Yep. Yeah, and there, and uh, the advanced class, uh, it's only uh, six, $55. You get a $37 Pests of Landscape, Trees, and Shrubs book and a hand lens. So if you, you're you a, a very avid gardener, master gardener, or you employ a gardener, they should be taking these classes.
1: And for more information it's rescapeca.org Yes. Alright, Steve Zion, Living Resources Company, always a pleasure having you on the program. It was fun, as always. We, we learned a lot today, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Alright. And uh, next week on this very radio show, we're going to be talking with Warren Roberts out of the UC Davis Arboretum, and Pam Bone, Master Gardener, will be here. So, that's coming up next Sunday morning. Have yourself a great weekend, folks. We'll do it all again next week. Bye-bye.